Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We'd be remiss if we didn't comment on what has uh, escaped from the closed-door testimony offered from one sad little man, Tony Fauci, this week, including what's now finally making the rounds, that the uh, six-foot rule, the social distancing, oh, yeah. standing in uh, standing in idiot circles. Yeah, the poly well, that, spots, like, don't, 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 you're in my space, remember? Well, that just, quote, sort of appeared, according to Tony Fauci. It sort of appeared. He doesn't know the genesis of it. If it just sort of appeared, he doesn't know the scientific basis behind it because there wasn't any. It just sort of appeared, says Tony Fauci. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why we couldn't have school, because we couldn't stay six feet apart with 28 kids in the classroom. So this just appearing bull jive is not going to sit well with a lot of parents. It just sort of appeared, so it had no scientific basis, but oh yet God. you had no problem parroting it for as long as you did. Uh, uh, social distance, cover cover your face, yeah. get your jab. You know, um, can I go I, back can I to— complain about something real quick, though, too? We also, in yoga classes and in spin classes, we had to, they put caution tape on bikes— because of six feet. Everything was about six feet. The whole world was about six feet. Just sort of appeared. Yeah, uh, we all lived through it. I mean, I guess we should refresh our recollections, make sure uh, this isn't getting memory hold for anybody. But, right, everything was social distancing. Uh, uh, you had to have uh, one person in a golf cart. You had to have no more than two people on a boat. Uh, you... I mean, you know, you had to walk a certain way in that. It's endless. Grocery store and at Home Depot, you can only head north down this aisle, and then you have to come back and head south. I mean, come on. And then the basis for all this, you come to find out, which we knew and said so. There's no, there's no scientific basis for any of this, starting with the lockdowns, but even the uh, less destructive mitigations in quotation marks. Three one two six four two. And now we're getting these admissions. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey pro answer line six four six three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment. The admissions dribble out, you know, uh, three four years after the crimes were committed, and you know, of course, they're not really admissions because Tony Fauci isn't saying he was responsible. Tony Fauci does that. Look, I never shut down a school. Oh, I never oh. shut down a business. Right. I just make recommendations. I just uh, go where the science leads, and I inform the decision makers. That's his cover story. It's the same thing we heard last week from his uh, partner in crime there over at NIH. 
Francis Collins. This is again this. Uh, let's play it again. This uh, uh, statement that he made at a conference over the summer, the video of which just uh, came out or was discovered last week. And I uh, also uh, hasten to add, I wrote about this for johncastnews.com, column posted this morning, if you want to check it out, assessing what Francis Collins had to say. But you can make your own assessments here. As a guy living inside the Beltway, feeling the sense of crisis, trying to decide what to do in some situation room in the White House with people who had data that was incomplete, we weren't really thinking about what that would mean uh, to Wilk and his family uh, in Minnesota, a thousand miles away from where the virus was hitting so hard. We weren't really considering the consequences in communities that were not New York City or, or, or some other big city. The public health people, we talked about this earlier, and this is a really important point. If you're a public health person and you're trying to make a decision, you have this very narrow view of what the right decision is, and that is something that will save a life. Doesn't matter what else happens. So you attach infinite value uh, to stopping the disease and saving a life. You attach a zero value to whether this actually totally disrupts people's lives, ruins the economy, and has many kids kept out of school in a way that they never not quite require. Collateral damage. So there, yeah, collateral damage. This is a public health mindset, and I think a lot of us involved in trying to make those recommendations had that mindset, and that was really unfortunate. That's another mistake we made. Okay. I mean, I, I my blood pressure is going up. I can't go back there, Dan. Yeah, the um, um, you know, the the number of uh, fallacies and you know the typical, like we heard earlier this week, uh, the Pentagon did it. Uh, the Pentagon uh, failed in its uh, objective of being transparent about its operations by not disclosing where Lloyd Austin was and when he was unconscious and who was in charge of the Pentagon when he was and so on and so forth. Pentagon failed. We failed and we're going to do better. The whole mm-hmm. the collective we is responsible so nobody individually held, has to be held accountable. That's what you have here with Francis Collins and the, the public health people. He He sort of. Uh, also is a bit dissociative and he says we sometimes and he says the public health people like he's an anthropologist studying this like he wasn't one of them like he wasn't the NAH director with uh, purse strings on 40 billion dollars that could drive could drive all these public health officials feeding at the trough to come up with their COVID consensus and then gather them together as a conspiratorial mob to silence any equally credentialed expert in virology or immunology or epidemiology who had an alternative opinion or was at least raising questions to say, have you considered this? Have you thought about this possible trade-off? And then the the lives versus lives thing, which we talked about last week, he, he wants to make it like, hey, we were in the life saving business. And um, and this is why we couldn't. And, and maybe we had too much television, but all we're trying to do is save lives, which is why we couldn't contemplate economic damage or the uh, stunting of kids intellectual growth. That's uh, that is totally false. Uh, you know it in real time. If you listen to the show, you know it from. Those equally credentialed experts that Francis Collins and that sad little man, Tony Fauci, tried to silence like Kaldorf at Harvard and Gupta at Oxford and Bhattacharya at Stanford and so many more that these issues were being raised at the time. And it was always about lives versus lives. Have you modeled the impact on in terms of the the prospect that lockdowns would 
instigate a, a, a spike in deaths in, in so-called deaths of despair? Have you thought about days of life lost because of the disparate impact on young, healthy people versus older people with comorbidity? You know, all of the trade-off questions that adults would ask, even if you know nothing about medicine, because we live in a world of trade-offs, all of that was ignored, if not treated as outright hostile by Francis Collins and Tony Fauci. And it can't be forgotten. And this is what they're trying to do with their mealy-mouthed weasel words about mistakes were made and it just sort of appeared out of nowhere and I never said that and I never did this and uh, we could have done better and this is a learning moment and all of the other uh, misdirectional uh, euphemisms that you get from these political hacks and that's what they are in the don't forget what they did to us with their collective we don't forget about dylan buckner and when his mom spoke at his funeral he that was a death of despair i mean he committed suicide and his mom said if he was in school if we had in-person learning if we had sports because we were locked out for two years he'd still be alive I know Dylan would be with us today if covid hadn't prevented him from being in person working on projects with classmates from being in person to work out with his teammates, being able to grab a burger or tacos and just hang with his friends in a restaurant. While on Thursday, that was just a speculation of mine, Friday's event and the way it it affected me has given me all the conviction I need to know that Dylan's death was COVID-related. Right. I mean, you People need to hear that uh, every year to be reminded of what they did to us. You had um, Jelly Roll testifying yes, Jelly Roll, you know, long-haired son of the sinner. Uh, Jelly Roll, uh, the country singer, uh, testifying yesterday on the Hill about fentanyl deaths. And he, you know, he's a convicted drug dealer um, and drug addict, and he turned his life around, and good for him. But fentanyl deaths, we're talking about that in the context of the border. Don't forget, in the context of overdoses, where where it was in that first COVID year that America topped 100,000 deaths by overdose. And that was largely driven by fentanyl and in part driven by the isolation that Mrs. Buckner was talking about. This was it was all about science, just following the science. I am science. Uh, Tony Fauci is politics. It was all about politics. They followed the politics. He's the devil. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and all only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today. 773-467-5630. 773-467-5630 or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning. 
Dan and Amy. Tiny Dancer. That mayor that every that uh, some people have nostalgia for after Triple Threat and BLM Brandon. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. I have it tattooed on my arm. Is this a good crisis, Tiny Dancer? Well, he was on with uh, WBBM, and here's uh, his review of the immigration issue as it pertains locally as well as nationally. Okay. You know, the, the even-handedness, the, the steady disposition of a Tiny Dancer. See if you can parse his words. I approach this as a child of an immigrant. We are a nation of immigrants. Thanks for letting us. We are also a nation of loss. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a policy and an enforcement of that policy that respects both and one cannot undermine the other. Now, wh- whether you agree with the term illegal immigration or not or undocumented, there are laws and they're on the bulk and they have to be enforced. One. Two. The last real comprehensive reform to immigration was 1986. Lots of change in the world since Ronald Reagan, Senator Simpson out of Wyoming, and uh, Congressman Manzoli out of Kentucky crafted an immigration bill. And then prior to that was Lyndon Johnson. We're due for a major reform of our immigration laws, both legal and illegal, our refugee policy that reflects climate change, gang and drug violence in other parts of the world, and how you ensure the safety of the United States and the respect for our laws and also our history and our historic culture. Not easy. The border has to be gotten under control and enforced because it's part of the policy of the country. On the other hand, we have to, it is the reason it's not, it's not functioning and it's not working is because we, it, the whole structure of immigration, the policies aren't working. Wow, there's uh, a lot of profundity there, isn't there? So I'm sorry. What do you want to do? Nothing really. I just want to. History. I, I just want to describe uh, the two sides of the issue, or two of the sides of the issue. So on the one hand, we're a nation of immigrants, and the other hand, we're a nation of laws. And then uh, I guess we have yeah. to have the laws apply to the process of emigrating to this country. And uh, so somebody needs to figure that out. Hey, thanks for stopping by, hey. Tiny Dancer. <laughs> Well, the difference between him and uh, Brandon Johnson is Brandon Johnson probably knows nothing of what um, Rom just spoke of about immigration laws in 1986. Because he doesn't, I mean, oh, I'm sure he might not even know who Ronald Reagan uh, is. (laughs) And then, and then Tiny Dancer caught the red eye back to Tokyo. I I don't, I mean, what, what, what was that? What is that? It's the sort of um, saying nothing in 90 seconds that. Uh, which, that was served him so well in his two terms as mayor of the city of Chicago. This is what you're hearkening back for, some of you in Chicago. Oh, if only the dailies or Tiny Dancer. It was so much better than, well, it was. But two things to that, since this is still popular, rem- remarkable. Um, one, the policies weren't any better. So, two, all you had back then was sowing the seeds that Chicago is reaping now. You know, this is on a continuum. These things, these terms, four years, eight years, 20 years, 
they don't occur in silos. So one series of decisions produces consequences that are visited on the city and its residents on a go-forward basis. It doesn't just, okay, stop now because we have a new mayor. Now we're going to restart and stop and restart. I mean, come on. How simplistic is this? If you and, and if you listen to what Tiny Dancer just said and stringing together 90 seconds of aphorisms and you say, oh, you know, gosh, boy, you know, there's a really thoughtful person. Well, then you're part of the problem. That is just nonsense. That is blather what you just heard. There's nothing. And by the way, um, if for, for any politician that wants to come and wring his hands about what's happening in the city of Chicago now, what's happening at the border now, city of Chicago has been a sanctuary state since Harold Washington. So if uh, there was any recognition that it was a destructive policy, that it had potential uh, implications like we're realizing today, and anybody had any sense of it, then what? You could have moved on it. Instead, what? Which way did Rom move? Just, just, just remembering here a little bit. Which way did Rom move when he, he was mayor? Yeah, he moved to excoriate his good buddy Bruce Rauner and play, you know, racial politics to prompt him to sign the legislation that made Illinois a sanctuary state. So he comes back as sort of this, you know, village elder. Yeah. Let me tell you about uh, immigration. Uh, On the one hand, you have this. And on the other hand, you have this. And so what we need is this. And it's all abstractions. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Why even bother to give the interview? I mean, he had nothing to add with that. Well, that's the point of the interview. The point of the interview is to say, is to come in there and to give that 90-second rap you just heard, and then say, well, you know, I've done my part. Uh, we, we've heard from the former mayor. Uh, he has some deep thoughts about what to do about the migrant situation. On the one hand... And then on the other, we're a nation of immigrants. We have to be nice to people. On the other hand, we have to respect the law, and the law has to be enforced, particularly at the border. And then we need to think globally, and this is the great one. This is the same thing the teachers' unions say about CPS. It's the same frickin' rap. Uh, Look, we need to think about the impact that climate change and war and poverty have on migration patterns globally. And until we can solve the global problem— until we can you know, structurally reform the nation's immigration laws, well, we can't do anything. It's just the same thing. Until we can ensure that every single child in CPS can, uh, whatever, read and do math at grade level, score a 25 on the, S- uh, the uh, ACT, until we can do that, we're going to do nothing. We're going to just keep things the way they are. There's no room for... Uh, you know, sequential improvements for doing what we can to improve the lives of as many as we can right now. No, no, no. Until we can get everybody on a lifeboat, nobody gets on a lifeboat. That's always been the approach. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach out to us on our text line, which is up and running, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. And what do you get from the Chicago Press Corps? You get these uh, sort of hagiographic profiles of uh, huddled masses. 
Chicago Tribune. Migrants go without showers, dig for food and trash at city's landing zone as they wait for shelter. Um, and again, I'm not here to uh, demonize migrants as a group. I don't talk about anybody as a group. I mean, and make you know, sort of oh, sweeping characterizations of groups because that's what the identitarians do. So I don't do that. And you shouldn't either. But this whole uh, so so migrants are are digging in the trash uh, for food and and they're going without showers and the other stories about their they have light jackets on because they're coming from uh, you know warm places to cold places like Chicago and New York. Well, well I'm sorry, whose fault well, they is that? Seen nothing yet. <laughs> well, what, but, but but I'm sorry, whose fault is that? What, are you is that supposed to make me feel bad? You're spending. What's what's Chicago and Illinois spending? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the the tab is probably over a billion dollars so far. Oh, for sure. All all in. So let's just say it's a billion dollars. You're spending a billion dollars, and you're so incompetent that you can't even provide basic food and clothing for these people. And they're begging people to help. I mean, at CPS schools, they have these big tubs. Please donate food and warm clothes to migrants who are here. This or, big push in every single CPS. So, so you, you have that. You have Catholic Charities, Catholic Charities, which is getting federal funds. You have all of these resources. So you, you're too incompetent to do that. And you're too sentimental to say, go back. Why well, two and, Guatemalans and, and, and that's and that's, my, and that's my fault. No. This is what the Tribune wants you to believe. It's your fault. If you don't support this lawlessness, if you don't support sanctuary city and state designations, welcoming silliness, if you don't support the repurposing of your money, your taxpayer money, and your taxpayer finance resources for them, then you're part of their, you don't even want to feed them. You don't even want to clothe them. You're a horrible person. No, no, these, this is what they always do. You are the terrible people. You have made false promises to uh, the well-intended people who have come. You have you oppose law enforcement at the border. You impose law enforcement generally. You're incompetent, and then you're spending my money to uh, illustrate your incompetence at a grand scale, and then it's my fault. Okay, yeah, I got it. And then add on to well, add on to that too. Our tax dollars, our property taxes, are going to pay for buildings that we can't even enter, meaning park district buildings. George in Naperville. Yes, Dan. I don't know why you're getting so upset. Tiny Dancer's voice is so soothing and calming, and it brings <laughs> us back to what we had. Yes, it's true. You know, I mean, I. I, like I angry rum. I saw the video, so I it sort of disabused me. But when I was listening to the dulcet tones of a tiny dancer, what did it remind you of? I was I was thinking about a campaign ad. Tiny dancer in his cardigan. Yep. Doing yep. his Mister Rogers routine <laughs> with a cup of coffee, telling us that you know, um, I've been I've been mean, and and I'm going to be nice now if I you remember. reelect me. <laughs> he was in his kitchen. It was all you know. Yeah. I'm a new me. Like, meet the new Rom. But I like angry Rom better. Oh, oh, hello. Guy. Hello, friends. <laughs> Won't you sit down and join me for a cup of Sanka? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the scams that are run by these guys. It's incredible. Oh, I'm t- forget the financial scams. The rhetorical scams. 
and they just work over and over again. The rhetorical version of Ponzi schemes work over and over and over again on every issue. And and and, yeah. and I mean, how grotesque, surreal this is. Bill Malugan reporting. This is obviously writ large, not Chicago specific. But you have you have the Texas National Guard in a standoff with, with right. Border Patrol. Yep. Uh, well, no, there's not a crisis here. Well, we have a challenge at the border. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. All right, so Dan, yesterday, uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler, Mr. Sardonicus, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, with the high waist, um, he explained why we need immigrants, and it's not just about rotten vegetables. We need immigrants in this country. Forget the fact that the farm that our our, our vegetables would rot in the ground if it weren't if they weren't being picked by many immigrants, many illegal immigrants. The fact is that the birth rate in this country is way below replacement level, which means our population is going to start shrinking. And the ratio of people on Social Security and Medicare is going to increase relative to the number of people supporting them. All the uh, canards that you hear all the time that start from the premise that um, what he is describing are goods, for example— um, our welfare state programs are unfinanceable, so we need a more a migrant, more uh, immigrants into this country by any means necessary to sustain unsustainable welfare state programs. Maybe there's something with, wrong with the concept of the welfare state programs that have been instituted. No, no, couldn't be. Maybe welfare state programs should be restructured. No, 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 we just need more. And by the way, even if all that was true— and, and the whole, like, picking vegetables is so patronizing. I know. Um, but it's typical of the left. They're mascots to the left. Even if all that was true. So the response to a need for, like, a guest worker program or a need for people to come into this country that have particular skills and so forth is just to open the borders and say, anybody who wants to come can come anytime at your leisure. Uh, you call your own shot. Even if what he's saying is true, what we're doing still doesn't make sense. It's still not defensible. 
The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, Mr. Ten Percent, the big guy. President Biden was unavailable to sit down with Mika. Uh, mm-hmm. She does this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. oh, so she's concerning. so empathetic. Oh. Yeah, oh. she oozes empathy. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It takes away from the interview because I keep waiting for her to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like when Joe asks uh, Mika, "Can can I have my balls back?" <laughs> She's like, oh, mm, oh, oh, let me think. No, oh, no, gosh. I, yeah. um, all right. So um, the big guy was unavailable because he was probably having to sit through something he didn't understand in the Situation Room as they were explaining why the U.S. and the U.K. are bombing the Houthis in yeah. Yemen, right? Maybe put him back on the terror list. Maybe not. I don't know. They're still deciding, Dan. I think um, also they're still considering whether or not to initiate bombings against the Texas National Guard for uh, not allowing Customs and Border Patrol to cut the fencing that uh, Governor Abbott has uh, put up there on the border. But we'll 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 keep abreast of that situation, too, when uh, if the Biden administration declares war on the Texas National Guard. Um, But otherwise, uh, Jill Biden, not a doctor, sat down with Nika. To talk about baby boy Hunter and, you know, all the goings on in this country, uh, you know, the, the the calming voice of the feminine perspective, the embodiment of class, grace and dignity on behalf of this hillbilly uh, criminal crime family she, from Wilmington she's a part of. I, I think what they are doing to Hunter is cruel. And I'm really proud of um, how Hunter has rebuilt his life uh, after addiction. You know, I'm, I love my son and it's had it's hurt my grandchildren. And that's what I'm so concerned about, that it's affecting their lives as well. I can see the grandchildren part, but you love Hunter. I mean, didn't he call her the C word, if I recommend well, or recall? Excuse me. Well, uh-huh. well, well. I mean, Hunter's your stepson. Right. Right? He's yeah, I mean, a just... stepson just as much as a regular child, but I'm just saying that... Well, I, I agree, but I mean... They've you know, had their issues. Just point of order. Okay. Um, it, the, the, um, uh, what they're doing to Hunter is cruel. Uh, so, I mean, my follow-up would be, it, it's interesting, interesting perspective. Now, we didn't get an answer to this question yesterday, but what kind of crack does Hunter like to smoke? No. So... I, I still cannot believe... Can we find that sound like A reporter... Would go up to him well, and ask we, we him. We don't what know type if it. Crack we don't know if it was a reporter. Somebody oh. shouted it in the press gaggle, but you know. Oh. Anyway, they have a press um, pass to get on that floor. The um, the whole is being cruel. Who's being cruel? Like which which part is cruel? Well, she's saying that Hunter Biden is pleading not guilty uh-huh. to nine tax fraud charges in Los Angeles. Yeah, three are felonies, six are misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so uh, he's turned his life around. I'm so proud of what he's done. Not guilty, Your Honor. Um, okay, try to reconcile those two images side by side. Things, uh, Jill, 
I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's going on with baby boy Hunter, but he's in a, a bit of a sticky wicket legally as much as uh, Joe and the gang tried to close the door and get him out of this latest one. I mean, do you think he's a liability for his father's reelection campaign? Oh, my gosh. What, <laughs> I mean, kidding. is that a rhetorical question? No, Three, he's an asset. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. He pled not guilty yesterday. He goes to tri- trial a few weeks before the DNC convention. Yeah, June, late June, June of, right. of this year. But Unless but, they reach a plea deal. Well, we'll we'll talk to Jed Rubenfeld about that. He's a Yale law professor later in the show. I, I can't imagine how uh, Hunter goes to trial. I mean, the testimony of the IRS agents, that's already a matter of public record, alone, not to mention the... Uh, the, the just just the, the, the physical evidence they have oh, of what he made and what he didn't report. Uh, he should go to jail like Wesley Snipes and others who didn't pay yeah, their but, taxes. But that's, well, of course, but that's a separate issue. The, how does he go to trial? You know, that, that's oh, this is going to be happening right with the DNC and so on and so forth. He, he's got to cut a he's got to cut a deal. He's got to cut a deal. You know, there'll be these negotiations. I'm sure for. A while, but there's no way. I mean, the only theory you could go, it seems to me, you could go to trial on was, and this is, you know, very high risk, was is jury nullification that you have one juror on that uh, jury that hates Trump and is going to vote for Biden and and is, you know, and 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 is uh, in league with Jill and being feeling like Hunter Biden is being treated cruelly. Now, don't hey, let's not talk about how cruel Hunter Biden has been to this country with his antics and and his laptop and so forth. Yeah, and, like and, and are... women and and family members. Let, let's not talk. You want to talk about cruelty, Jill? But anyway, I digress. The, the the it just doesn't make any sense. It seems to me they have to dispense with this matter of Hunter Biden and these tax charges as quick as possible and put him in the rearview mirror as quick as possible, whether he wants to go or not. This is sort of a Fredo moment. Hunter, you're going to get in the boat, okay? Yep. You're going you're going to go away or you're going to take your medicine on this. We tried. We couldn't close the door. You can't be uh, on trial in the late summer of next year. That doesn't work. I mean, I would I just, think. Oh, I'd love to know about the. I mean, he spent $683,000 on various women, all close to $200,000 on adult entertainment. And it goes on and on with this nefarious, this yeah, grotesque, I mean, well, I mean well, his lifestyle. And then the whole thing well, about, well, oh, you know, they showed criminal. naked. I know, but well, they some showed. Some of it is. Some of it is, actually. They showed naked photos, you know, on the congressional floor during that hearing. And, you know, Marjorie Taylor. Yeah, I, I know. But you so, know what? So but the what? problem is, no, you, you don't want naked photos displayed of yourself. Then don't take them. Don't let yourself, don't show off that you're with prostitutes and you're doing crack. I mean, I know he was, you know, suffering well, okay. or whatever, but who cares? Like, you don't do that. Yeah, okay, fine. That, that's sort of separate, a separate issue in terms of him being a scumbag from the legal issues. I mean, he's... A pervert. Well, all of the above, but, you know, this is the whole thing. And so so then it's like, so what they're doing, going back to getting back to Jill, what they're doing to Hunter is so cruel. They, you know, meaning conservatives, uh, non-Biden voters, whatever, uh, they're doing to Hunter. So, and, and it just, it speaks to, she's on message. What do you think when you hear Trump Republicans calling you the 
Biden crime family. Or uh, <laughs> I have one congresswoman, the Biden crime family sold out America, Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's a liar. He's mentally incompetent. Um, and let's not even talk about what let's go Brandon means. Mm -hmm. But you have U.S. senators holding signs that say that. Biden it's hard to realize our country, isn't it? I mean, to look at it, what we used to have and um, what the other side, the extremists have turned this country into. I mean, we would never see things like that, say, 10 years ago. Boy, that's a statement dripping with irony, isn't it? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six. Type in D A then a quick comment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, you can, you can only you, you can only go. I mean, uh, uh, unless the first lady is Hillary Clinton, co-president, you can only go so far with with Jill Biden. Uh, I mean, she sort of is a co-president too by default. Oh, she is. But, but I mean, I, it's just. It's just to bring her into the conversation is just really to highlight the closing of ranks, the message that you're going to get from, you know, all quarters. And Jill is going to try to be sort of the matronly first lady and just being, you know, aghast at the incivility and the cruelty. And, yeah, can't we all just be nice to one another? And let's go back to a um, a better day that what that well, that was in parts, but a, because your husband wasn't president, but the, you know, the better day of people getting along and just and go and what when people like Jill say getting along, meaning going along with things, not kicking up a fuss. And so, I mean, that's just sort of she's going to be the the good cop and and Joe Biden is going to be the doddering cop. And then, you know, the professionals will be the bad cops and it's going to be extremists and Jan 6th and democracy versus MAGA dictatorship, as you've been saying all week since his speech at Valley Forge all day, every day between now and November. Well, he's the one creating division. And if anyone's well, been cruel to yeah. anybody, it's his administration to President Trump. I mean, they're trying to take out his opponent, not through the voters, but through the judicial system and with all these felony charges. And yeah, they're even and changing the rules in some states to even prosecute him. I mean, imagine that. And then she talked about, like, I think she is com the complete brains behind this operation. Notice that he doesn't know where to go. He's always, always looking for her. If she's not on stage with him, he might walk into a wall. But this is, you know, this is her decision to run again. Does yet another one give you any pause thinking of, like, the personal health and well-being for both of you, the division in this country? The cruelty of MAGA Republicans against oh, your family. Does any part of you once in a while about, think? I, oh. I mean, the thing that. Yeah, she's a victim. Yeah. But she's like, we're going to do this. Here. Like, we, we are going to run. Not not my husband's running. We are. Well, running. I mean, that's something that. Yeah, that, that's just something that every spouse says, uh, you know, we're in this together. We think we're you know, pregnant. I mean, exactly. Your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're expecting. That's what she said when uh, Hunter knocked up that stripper. We're yeah. pregnant. Oh, yeah. Why didn't uh, Mika say? So you mentioned that you're going to start accepting that you have a seventh grandchild. Um, have you made communication with the, the granddaughter yet? Don't you think not communicating would be cruel? Um, on the other side, uh, just since we're talking about these matters, um, uh, Nathan Wade, Fanny Willis's beau. Apparently. Oh, lover boy, Dan. Uh, is uh, made as a made appearance, but but we're getting more information. More information is trickling out about uh, the relationship between Fanny and Nathan and the Biden White House. 
November 18th of 2022, White House held an eight-hour meeting with Nathan Wade. Uh, very same day, Joe Biden's Attorney General, Jack Smith, uh, was appointed, uh, Jack, Garland appointed Jack Smith as special counsel. Uh-huh. Well, she paid um, her lover to take down Trump, and then they didn't even hide all these lavish vacations. I mean, they were on a cruise, Dan, with thousands of people. So they're kind of flaunting well, this relationship. Well, well, well that's, 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 not, that's not illegal or no, know, even unethical. She, it becomes a problem when she appoints him a special prosecutor in the right. case. This is after she appointed him special prosecutor. Yeah, but but so what? So the the Fulton County DA and this local yokel attorney and twenty two are in communication with the Biden White House. What's that about? Oh, I see what you're saying. I I don't know, but. It's just interesting. I mean, it could be. Oh well, he. We were thinking about him for a U.S. attorney, or we think that I. I don't know what it was, but I know where he is now, and an understanding of the relationship between the Biden White House and these local prosecutors. I think that's a fair question. Pat and Lockport, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I don't think I've ever seen the backside of so many horses in one place in the 80 years I've been on this damn planet. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely incredible. Baby boy is 50 freaking three years old. I believe, according to Cook County Judge Tim Evans, your uh, prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 56. Yes. So I think think that's what it is. Yeah. In their particular case, that is probably true. These people couldn't pull their head out of their asses to save their souls. It goes from one damn bizarre affair to another. She's worried about her grandchildren? Really? That little grandbaby girl? Oh, okay. And baby boy Hunter's banging his dead brother's wife? Yeah, he Hello. did do that. Yes. Hello. What the hell? And well, they're hillbillies. They accepted it. They said, that's fine. We support him and his decision. So Come his- on. And then... The- and then, and then, just drop that that pebble or that rock, and watch the water just ripple, ripple, ripple away. Then they can't figure out where the hell Austin is for five, six, seven days. Thanks for the call, Pat. Well, you know, t- t- I, I had a question though too. I mean, I have so many questions for Jill and Joe and Hunter. Um, what about you know? The, at least did you cut uh, the stripper's kid, your kid, with the stripper? It means you cut him in on some of the Burisma money. You set up a little uh, three little college savings account for him with a little bit of that Burisma money or Chicom money. I mean, come on, let's cut everybody in here. And he begs her not to take his last name. She, she the girl can't have Biden's last name. Her name's Navy. Yeah, because it'd yeah. be too hard on the girl. Uh huh. Really. But you know how I'm all well, about time. Well, I mean, that actually, I, I, there, there is something to that argument. Oh. I wouldn't want the Biden last name either. Dan and um, Amy, Chicago's okay. Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Governor Jelly Belly uh, issued a uh, end-of-year message at the end of 2023 celebrating all of his accomplishments. 
Things are going great in the worst governed state in American history, he tells us. Take a listen. Hello, Illinois. This is Governor J.B. Pritzker. Here we are at the end of another year. Despite all the challenges facing the nation and the world these days, thanks to your help, we've gotten big things done right here in the best state in America. We defeated the gun lobby and banned assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. While right-wingers in other states are banning books, we stopped them cold here in Illinois by banning book bans. Overcoming Republican opposition, we raised the minimum wage, expanded mental health care, made child care more affordable and available, and lowered the cost of getting a higher education degree. And while MAGA Republican extremists try to take away abortion rights, I founded Think Big America to fight back and make sure that they can't end a woman's right to make decisions about her own. Exactly. Nothing is more pro-quit kid than killing him in the womb. Uh, that's what I always say. Um <laughs> So uh, so that's so a big accomplishment, particularly focus in on the health care, child health care and so on and so forth. OK, so now there's this report out race for results uh, by the Annie Casey Foundation. Yeah. Um, by the way, the, this is another uh, uh, example of Robert Conquest's second law of politics. Something is not expressly conservative over time. It will become left. And the Annie Casey Foundation started by James Casey, who was the founder of UPS, like in the late 40s. And now it's just another uh, foundation that uh, is essentially philanthropic washing for the left. Anyway, so race for results. Uh, And the top line is Illinois is failing kids of color. So you heard Pritzker's message. And now from the left comes this report, Race for Results, Illinois failing kids of color. And so they brought on one of their flacks, Caitlin Jones, who's this mindless uh, functionary for the YWCA of Chicago. YWCA of Chicago, Women's Christian uh, Association, right? Young right. Women's Christian Association, YWCA. The, their their um, slogan as you see on her backdrop when she does this interview with WGN, eliminating racism, empowering women. What? Oh, my God. So, right, it's all identitarian obsessed. So she's brought on to uh, translate the results uh, of the Annie Casey Foundation study. And it's just, again, the Rom-esque gobbledygook. It's just on uh, child welfare and healthcare policy and the sort. Um, you know, uh, smart policies for all kids is great, but we need targeted policy. Well, the reality is we need to focus on everything, everything, because it's more than, you know, just reading levels. It's more than poverty. It's also, you know, how neighborhoods are doing, how they're faring, what kind of healthcare resources are available to parents, how their economic security is. I think the real thing this report underscores is the need to design and evaluate policies with special attention to the needs of these groups. Universal policies are great, but we actually need targeted policies to address the disparities um, that we're seeing across racial and ethnic groups in Illinois and the country more broadly. Yeah, and she's focused on uh, data points we talk about a lot, like the fact that what she says, one in three kids of color in the state, only one in three read at grade level. It's lower than that. That's one in three all in one in three of one point eight five million kids, you know, matriculating through 
high school, but in fourth grade, read at grade level. One in three, all in. One in four, do math at grade level. And she continued, but, you know, she's directionally correct. So that's not good. The impact of pandemic policy, that hasn't been good. Yes, absolutely. A lot of these scores. So that's why I think, for example, like the reading indicator that I pointed to is so interesting to think about because um, that is an indicator for how children are going to do as adults in terms of whether they'll graduate from high school, whether they'll enroll in college, what kind of uh, financial security they'll have. And so we see these things from a very early age having a tremendous impact on people's lives and their economic security uh, through adulthood, which is why it's really important that we start to and pay more attention to these kind of very early childhood issues that this report is highlighting. Thank you so much. You know, it's great the Annie B. Casey Foundation did this report. So now that we know reading is important to kids, (laughs) thank God. Now now we know teaching kids to read is important. Thank you, Caitlin Jones. So so, um, we're not doing a good job. The pandemic didn't help any. In fact, obviously it hurt significantly. But, but hey, don't forget, we live in Candide. Yeah, so when looking at, I mean, Illinois has already done a pretty good job. We had yeah, an, great. an income tax Welcome credit, great. which is great, and we expanded it. <laughs> Everything's fine. We've got hot but, tubs on the river. Come on, please. Exactly. Yeah. Go, 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 New go take a, go take a ride on the Sea Dog. You know, go shop on the Mag Mile. Don't worry about it. Hey, uh, what do you think the Bears should do for offensive coordinator? <laughs> this is bad. It was made worse. Illinois is doing great. Okay, sure. Try and reconcile that. Uh, to help us follow that logic, if that is possible, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Bill Howder, who's a Republican member of the Illinois State House from the 87th District. That's uh, Central Illinois. Dr. Howder, Representative Howder, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning, so, Dan and Amy. Morning. Um, so uh, sorry you heard... For the, uh, sorry for the morning voice. <laughs> oh, no, it's all right. Um, you know, we'll we'll assess your bedside manner and let you know. Yes, uh, well, I'm on my way to work this morning, so if you hear anything, that's... Very, very good. Uh, going so, to work. So you heard Pritzker's message, uh, all the accomplishments... Uh, you heard the effort to um, uh, pro- pro- provide a real assessment of what's happening uh, at the developmental level for kids in this state, including with respect to health care. I mean, I just before we get into specifically the migrant issue, and I know you haven't been in the General Assembly for a long time, which is why you probably yeah. still maintain some sanity. Um, <laughs> what 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 get, you know, just give us a, re- a, a Republican response, if you will, to what you heard. Well, I mean, it's it. The crazy thing is, Dan, is that I feel like I come from a business of you know medicine and being a physician. I'm an anesthesiologist in the Peoria area, and uh, also an emergency physician. So my whole life has been one of you know outcomes, evidence, uh, you know measurable variables, and I'm in this business now where it's like I'm in a fantasy world. And we actually sit on the floor of the house and listen to things like Illinois on top and going higher. And uh, (laughs) it's like brainwashing, huh? Yeah, it's just like it's just like what what world are we living in? This is a a sentence I heard: 
other states look to Illinois to see if they can replicate our success. And it, you know what? The interesting so there, that's the that's the same thing the Bears have on their uh, bulletin board in the locker room. <laughs> right, right. No, the it, it's just like uh, so. It's all based on on feelings and narrative and and power because because we're so uh, you know such a small super minority we're irrelevant to them and with that irrelevancy they're they're they don't feel accountable uh, to anything they're not accountable to the media they're not accountable to uh, the voters you know so I can I can just uh, go on and on about how. Uh, it's hard to battle when you're battling not reality mm. and you know when you're battling false uh, narratives and untruth without evidence uh, so when you bring up evidence um, that's just dismissed and so um, you know we can talk about you know the ev- the the evidence and the reality of what's happening with this migrant situation especially in regard to the healthcare. Well, and, let's, uh, let, let's let's do that because I mean, again, I think don't, people don't appreciate the largest uh, uh, budget item in the state budget is not K through twelve education; it's Medicaid, and that's only expanded over the last several governors. Where now we're running at about one in three Illinois residents, Illinois residents like legal residents are Medicaid eligible, and now you've got the influx of people from other countries that are being covered, their health care is being covered by Medicaid as well, meaning taxpayers. And um, and this is a huge number, and it's going to start yeah. growing um, uh, perhaps exponentially based on the influx that is occurring. Exactly. So, you know, when you look at this, it's it's really, it's a, it's a real ab of our fiduciary responsibility to the taxpayers of Illinois. When we say Illinoisans are not only first, but they're they're last, and they're behind non-citizens in in the Medicaid system. So when we have the Medicaid system for you know working poor adults in Illinois, and that system is in a managed care organization, an MCO, and with that comes you know denials of care pre-authorizations, co-pays. Then we set up from age 42 to to, uh, to seniors a system that's Medicare, Medicaid-like for uh, immigrants that is a fee-for-service, no-managed care. It's absolutely golden Cadillac insurance, and, and it's taking away over a billion dollars from the Illinoisans that are vulnerable and need the health insurance. It's, it's just, to me, it's just, it's, it's almost evil. Well, then what should we be doing? What do you suggest? <laughs> I, I think we just continue. We have to persevere. And, and that's been a big thing with, with me in my first year is, is saying, when you see how, how far down we are and how, uh, what a deep minority we are and how irrelevant we are, what do we do? Well, they want us to give up, right, Amy? They want us to to give up and to say, you know, Illinois, it's too, it's, you know, it's it's not worth fighting for. Um, I know I I've thought about leaving, but in the end, um, I think our job is to continue to fight and to continue to bring the reality of the situation 
And, um, you know, I, I think the only thing we can do is I take uh, from the Bible, I take, uh, you know, Second Corinthians 4, there's verses in there that, that we're crushed. I mean, we are, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but we are not crushed. We have to stay in Illinois. We have to stay and fight because um, this is our home. And when we lose our, when we lose our, you know, people that become so frustrated by the situation, uh, you know, they are, they don't care because who's leaving Illinois? It's the businesses, it's the makers, it's the people that are productive. And who are they bringing in is a huge, uh, you know, a population of, of illegal immigrants and also whatever you want to call them. If you say illegal immigrants on the House floor, you, you may be strung up from the rafters. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, encourage you to make a, a I wouldn't encourage you to make a biblical reference either, because I believe Pritzker has banned that book in Illinois. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, um, no, we don't have any book banning. Oh. Yeah, right. Right. So um, so here's uh, but I mean, here's one thing. And, and we talked about this a bit yesterday, um, modeling after the daily covid briefings. Now, of course, uh, Pritzker is not yeah. going to do these briefings with respect to migrants and the cost being imposed. And and exactly what you're describing, that hasn't gotten enough coverage. The idea that migrants are getting Cadillac health care coverage as compared to Illinois residents who are getting. Yeah that managed care uh, regime. That's that's a really important yes. point. But what about Freedom Caucus has, in the House has suggested this to Brad Hallbrook and, and Chris Miller and company that that um, you would do daily migrant briefings that just the, the number of people in the I mean, you can track these bus reports and train reports of migrants being dropped off and where they're being dropped off by these regional emergency response agencies. We certainly have them in Cook County. Sure. And and, you know, here's uh, what's who's being dropped off or how many being dropped off, where where they're going. Here's uh, what the state costs are in terms of what you were describing with respect to the Met, the fee for service Medicaid coverage and uh, and, you know, associated costs that are being borne by taxpayers and just put out daily briefings. I mean, you would build a community around that information. What about that? I, I mean, I think that's a great idea that that, that kind of transparency is, is definitely needed. And you mentioned another thing is that the continued rule by um, by executive order, and we're under you know this is a, emergency another, declarations. Yeah. Yes, emergency declarations, and one of the reasons why I ran for office, Dan, was because of COVID. And as a physician, I saw you know the the lockdowns, the mandates, and the you know the coerced consent for for vaccinations. And as a physician, I saw that there was not one. Uh, medical person in in the house or the or the senate there's not one medical doctor i'm the only medical doctor in the legislature of illinois uh for over 30 years um, so to me we had a huge um, public health emergency and no one was speaking for the people it was it was ruled by one man and he he continued that for way too long we saw that when every other state had had dropped their emergency declarations, he kept it on until the very last last day of the last month that it could be kept on, and then he he switched to emergency declarations for a migrant crisis, so that he can move money around at will, and there's very little uh, transparency, and we we struggle to find out where billions of dollars are being spent of Illinoisans' money. This this healthcare crisis or this healthcare um, program, HBIS, HBIA, healthcare benefits for immigrant seniors and, and adults, is the A. 
that program last fiscal year cost over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. You know how much they thought it was going to cost? How much? Two hundred million. Uh, only off by a factor of five. That's pretty good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. And so, uh, yeah. so what would you say when you have expanded this? Uh, it would be in your budget. What would you say it would be? Oh, uh, well, would probably unless we do something drastic, it's going to be about that same amount. No, they said it's going to be five hundred and fifty million. This is again an example of the unreality of the situation. Right. So, so it'll be so. So it'll be say, two and a half oh, billion. It'll be three billion. It'll be five billion this time. But what's the difference to them, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. But they said in the budget it's only going to be five hundred because we're going to institute cost savings. What are those cost savings? Well, we're going to stop and we're going to stop new enrollees, which they have done that. But they're going to institute managed care for these people. It hasn't happened. So they continue to get fee-for-service. They can go to any doctor's office. Don't have to get pre-authorizations for any kind of treatment. Don't have denial of care like other Illinoisans do. And then they said, we're going to institute co-pays, just like everybody else. But did that happen? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was immediately protested, and they, the political fallout from that, from the Hispanic caucus and others, was how dare you uh, make these uh, – poor people have a copay for any kind of treatment. So that's not been instituted. So right now, uh, that $550 million that they budgeted, uh, we're only at uh, over $800 million that we can see. But again, they don't, they're not transparent with us or to the Illinoisans about, about what this is costing. But we think right now it's over $800, billion, or $800 million, and it'll probably just be just as close as it was last year. But to balance the budget, they just say whatever they want to say. Dr. Bill Howder, Republican member of the Illinois State House, 87th District, that's uh, Central Illinois, the Peoria area, as he was saying. Dr. Howder, thanks so much for joining us and uh, explaining what's going on down there. Please uh, keep us informed and and uh, distribute whatever information you are able to glean from how money is being spent uh, down there, particularly on the, uh, the health care issue with uh, people who are in this country illegally, largely. Dr. Howder, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, and have a good day. Stay safe. Yeah, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, don't expect uh, the Bidenomics messaging to make a return anytime soon after uh, yesterday's numbers. We'll see uh, CPI is today. But here was uh, the godfather, Rick Santelli. You know the godfather. His oh, creed yeah. core launched the Tea Party movement a generation ago. Yes, why do I have to pay for my neighbor's remodeled bathroom? Uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's still at it. And uh, still with the same vim and vigor, which is why we love Rick. Uh, Here's Rick going over the numbers and what they mean. Wait for the end of it, because this explains why three quarters of the country is saying I'm in a worse position economically than I was pre-Biden. 313.216. That probably doesn't mean anything to you. means something to me. That's the highest it's ever been. It's ever been. Now, remember, Bureau of Labor Statistics brings out this number. Go to their website. 
When did COVID start? March of 2020? Okay, this is a decent number. That means Nova was the most updated we had prior to about two minutes ago. If you go to their website and you look at their CPI inflation calculator and you put in uh, Feb of 2020, what you'll find is it takes a dollar 19 of Nova 23 dollars to buy what bought a dollar pre-COVID. Do it if you don't believe me. Believe him. That's it. A dollar 19 of November 2023 dollars to buy what cost a dollar in February of 2020. 19% across the board. And so even with the manipulated numbers where they extract uh, food and energy costs because of volatility, sort of give you a rosy picture, um, the real world implications are people are losing ground even with some wage increases over those years, not keeping up with the cost of the basics. That's why. For uh, more on this in the context of previewing Monday's Iowa caucus, fresh off of his conquest of CNN on Wednesday night, Brett Baer is the host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays 5 p.m. Chicago time, best-selling author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment, and also... The History Club, Dual Across Time, a graphic novel. Brett Baird branching out. He's stretching the bounds of his artistic creativity. A graphic novel? <laughs> what is next, Brett Baird? Blow art? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe some uh, some clay. Some clay no. uh, figures. Yes. I don't know. Uh, no, I, the actual the graphic novel is really fun. And kids, 8 to 14, it's about history. It's about this adventure. And uh, it actually really has done well, and uh, parents like getting history in the minds of young people. So that's why I did it. Good for right. you. I'm looking forward to Get Brett Bear's big book of political prose. Um, uh, you know, maybe. I want to I, I see where you take this creativity. You're not just a button-down newsman. I like it. It's, uh, you know, I was trying to be a button-down newsman this week, and it's, it's really interesting in that <laughs> Iowa is fascinating. I think it's going to be a lot different than people think uh, as far as what actually happens. Minus 14 is real. You know, that's a real uh, for for uh, a Monday show up for people. The organization of getting people out is going to be really, really interesting. And so who do you think that uh, that uh, uh, dastardly cold weather benefits? Who, who does, does that extend the gap between Trump and the rest or does it close it? You know, I think DeSantis, you know, has a really good organization, but uh, Trump has the momentum as far as people, numbers. Those polls, you know, we've never seen polls like that uh, heading into the caucuses. So um, I think that there's got to be, you know, if it's going to shift, it it would have to be a major shift. I think the real battle is between DeSantis and Haley, and if Haley somehow comes in second— uh, it is it is really not a good thing for the DeSantis campaign. Well, do you think then he'd consider dropping out, or he'd wait till after New Hampshire or South Carolina? You know, I talked to him. I talked to him before the town hall that we did this week, and uh, the governor said, uh, "Listen, let's schedule this thing in New Hampshire, and then let's do one in South Carolina." And oh. I don't know if that was all bluster or not, yeah. but I, I don't think that the message would be that strong if you've bet all your chips on. Des Moines and, and Iowa counties, and um, and you come out third. But if the polls are correct, Trump's on track to smash the Republican record for the largest victory margin in the history 
of the Iowa caucuses. And I think people are playing more into this weather. I mean, it's going to be cold, but Iowans are hardy, and it's not as if we haven't experienced that before. That's true. And, you know, his supporters, I will say, having met a lot of them on the trail over the past few days, um, are people who would walk over glass to, to go <laughs> caucus. I mean, they they kind of feel aggrieved and um, and that the world is, is out to get the former president. And, and so they feel like it's their duty to, to make sure that Iowa stands up. So that's the, what I hear from them. Uh, and, you know, if I had to guess, uh, I think that, that he's going to have a big win, whether it's as big as those polls show, we'll see. Yeah, and, and, and again, I mean, the... The aggrieved is a good word in terms of the Trump voters feeling aggrieved sort of by transference. And and right in the run up to the caucus, you've got more reason to be aggrieved. The uh, circus around the closing arguments in the civil trial in New York, the information coming out about uh, Fawny Willis in Fulton County. I mean, that just gets people's dander up even more so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's one thing after another. I mean, it's it's not just one. And uh, every day is another courtroom drama with the president actually going to all the courtrooms because I think he sees a, a political advantage to talk to reporters outside of those. Um, you know, listen, you guys know the, the scope of these things. There's a couple of them that are more serious than others, but especially the Manhattan civil fraud and the uh, um, some of the cases up in New York, I think um, there's a sense that that's, it's a political element to it. But don't you wonder what the Biden camp is thinking? I mean, you have President Trump. He did your town hall with Martha McCallum, then flew back to New York and then went, was in court yesterday. I mean, he's got stamina and vigor, and Joe Biden's just barely hanging on. Yeah, you know, the Democrats uh, I talked to in Iowa, um, they're concerned. They're really concerned. And I think you're going to start to see even more Democrats piping up. But I don't know where the shoe drops, you know, like what what happens? Where What's the next uh, play? You know, I don't see how it changes ahead of the convention. So um, you and Martha were able to extract from Trump that he has selected the, his VP running mate in his own mind, assuming he's the nominee. And not surprisingly, he wouldn't tell you who that is. And then uh, yesterday, Rand Paul said, I got a big announcement uh, coming this morning. Um, I mean, is it just an endorsement of Trump or oh, what, what do we what do we Rand expect? Paul. I guarantee you it's uh, I don't think that Rand Paul is the VP. Um, okay. I think that um, uh, it, it was interesting that he said he had made up his mind that he has a person. I. I mean, I think that's part of the intrigue. Um, it's obviously not a done done deal here, and he's got to get the nomination. But should he? Uh, that's an interesting thing. I don't think in the big picture VPs make that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't know if it would this time. I think, you know, Rand Paul, if he endorsed DeSantis, that would be a crazy thing. But uh, if I had to guess, he's going to endorse Trump. Yeah, now, you were with President Trump the other night. Have you noticed uh, – was his demeanor different? Has he matured over the past four years? Is there anything that Big time. The demeanor different? was definitely different. I can't talk about the maturity level or, or what is going to come tomorrow. You know, we're one true social post from a, a change <laughs> in demeanor. Um, but I think that uh, what, what we saw was not what we were expecting to see. We were expecting to see the full pushback, and we were getting ready and kind of ready to go down all kinds of rabbit holes and, and push back all this this time. And he came with more of a general election uh, pitch and demeanor and, 
you know, we push back on a number of things about political violence, about debt, about, you know, emoluments clause, all kinds of different things. But uh, his overall pitch, and I don't know whether it was that his mother-in-law had passed. It did seem to affect him actually backstage a little bit. Um, uh, whether that changes his tone, but he was in, it seemed to me, general election mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, border issue. I mean, Trump, uh, on your uh, during your town hall, said, look, we've got no choices. There has to be a mass deportation effort initiated. Uh, DeSantis, uh, in his debate with Nikki Haley, said something akin to that. Um, w- where do you think the uh, Republicans you know, on the Hill are, particularly in the Senate, on real system change when it comes to immigration if they were able to secure the presidency and the Congress? I, I think that there's a, a a blueprint. There is a model that they could get to something that everybody agrees on. It has to look a little bit like HR two, the House right. bill that passed. Um, you know, it has to have that kind of thing. Right now, they're just around the edges trying to get this supplemental deal done, and I'm not sure that that's going to come around. I mean, there's some real pushback already. The House Speaker Johnson, and he he could be in jeopardy, just like the. You know, the previous House Speaker McCarthy, because um, these conservatives are just not liking how he's operating so far on the on the budget. So I think uh, I think there is a way, a path forward, but you would need all three branches. And with res- and with respect to just going back to Biden for a second, you know, Jill Biden was out. Jill Biden was out uh, talking about Hunter and the reelection campaign and so forth. Um, it, Hunter pleading not guilty yesterday, trial being set for June. I mean, just setting aside sort of the, the, the legal strategy for a second, the political pressure from the White House on Hunter has to be you have to deal this out and be done. We can't have you on trial weeks before the convention in late, the late summer of, next, of this year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the, the pitch that um, he's – that Hunter Biden is, you know, it's – He's suffering and, you know, the Joe Biden soundbite, I mean, it's designed uh, to do what it does, uh, but it is really a negative politically for that trial to happen right before the election uh, in in the summer, right before the convention. Um, You know, just like the trial that will likely come in D.C. for the January 6th against Trump, that could be September You know, I mean, you're talking about two sides of the coin here, two sides of the aisle that will have big things that will be covered in a legal sense right before a general election. And um, so that's why there's 60 percent of people that say don't choose either one of them. He is Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays, 5 p.m. Chicago time, bestselling author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment, and his new graphic novel, The History Club, Duel Across Time. Brett, thank you as always. We'll see you guys. Thank you. Have a great weekend. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Um, we've got to address this. This uh, These statements made by Gary Grasso, who is the mayor of Burr Ridge. And, you know, Gary uh, was a Republican member of the DuPage County Board. He been a Republican candidate for Congress and for DuPage County Board President. Mm-hmm. 
And I've always gotten along okay with Gary, but I, I just I can't abide statements like this. Is this in regards to immigration? What he yes, that? yeah, yeah, and and you know, and Burridge doesn't have a train station, so they're not no. being dropped off at a train stop in Burridge. But nope, they did have a hotel that had migrants uh, last year. Gressler said he's in touch with nearly three hundred mayors around Chicagoland, the Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus. I haven't gotten anything negative about it. This morning, I confirmed with all the villages around Chicago that even though the migrants were being dropped off at train stations, and we don't have one. I asked all the mayors present, has anyone had a problem with any of the migrants in the past few months? And it was zero problems. Nobody has had any problems. Hmm. So, yeah, okay. Um, I don't believe that. And point of fact, uh, when you have stories about Colombian burglary rings in Lake County, and you have stories about um, uh, some of the migrants being uh, accused of and arrested for the commission of crimes. Don't tell me that nobody is saying there are no problems. And to the extent there are no problems because you have sanctuary city state proponents in these mayor's office saying, yeah, I don't have any problems. When they come here, we just ship them down to Chicago. That's not no, that's not no problems. Not to mention, I mean, any foresight here in terms of the rolling delivery of people from around the world coming through the southern border and being bussed up here without much knowledge of their backgrounds. It's very Pollyannish. First of all, I don't believe it's true. Secondly, it's a very Pollyannish view of the situation, isn't it? One of the trustees in Burridge said this, Nobody anticipated a year ago the city of Chicago wouldn't want buses of migrants dropped off in the city. Oh, really? Nobody anticipated it. Uh, BLM Brandon's been calling it a burden for months. Eric Adams, prior to uh, Chicago getting to burden point, has been banging his tin cup all over the place asking for money from the state and from the feds. You didn't anticipate that what you saw unfurling in New York would visit itself to Chicagoland? Nobody anticipated this, an endless flow of people being dropped off and say, here, nobody thought that at some point Chicago would tire of it and say, we're a sanctuary state, as they've said. Of course they said, hey, we need the suburbs to pick up some of the slack. You didn't anticipate that. Come on. Coming up. No, 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 we're not done yet. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Grasso said, Grasso first thanked BLM Brandon for trying to coordinate a response. Thanked him. How about having a conversation saying, um, this is what we wrought with terrible public policy at the city, county, and state level. No, we're thanking BLM Brandon for reaching out to the mayors and saying, why don't you take some? Reaching, calling on Pritzker, why don't you give me more taxpayer money? That deserves a thank you? That's called coordination? No, that's socializing the city's problems to the suburbs, which is what the city of Chicago has always done, as I've explained innumerable times. And then he says this. They want, you know, have sympathy for the the new arrivals. They want to be here because they want a better life. I truly believe that. And we're all product of similar people facing similar situations years ago. 
again, that is the flip side of saying every migrant is a, a predator or is uh, uh, you know, somebody to, to be afraid of and so forth. It's a mixed bag, as humanity always is when you're talking about the numbers we're talking about. Some people, yes, it is similar. They came through a port of entry. They uh, were granted uh, the uh, per after filing an asylum application. They're allowed to stay in this country per federal policy. That's the fault of the federal policymakers. But the idea that they're magical people who are all just yearning to breathe free and have more economic opportunity is false. And we know it's false. We know it. If you've paid even passing attention, we know that is false. We know that people on the terrorist watch list have are part of the Godaway population. We know that uh, you have Mexican cartels pushing their drug pushers into this country. We have legitimate concerns about uh, state sponsors of terror and state sponsors of communism infiltration pushing their people through the southern border. This is known. It is not in dispute. But yet we're all supposed to characterize uh, every, we're, we're, we're all supposed to characterize everyone in this coming into this country the way they're coming in as uh, uh, you know the vision of the Emma Lazarus poem. It's nonsense. Knock it off. And somebody, the residents of Burr Ridge, should tell Gary Grasso and the rest of that board exactly that. What the hell's wrong with you? The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM five sixty. The answer. <laughs> Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, you think uh, D-I-E is D-E-A-D because Claudine Gay got deposed at Harvard? Hardly. Sharita Golden, Dr. Sharita Golden, she's a medical doctor. She's also the chief diversity officer at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Gross. Just a waste of her time. Okay. Medical doctor. Chief Diversity Officer, Johns Hopkins Medicine, one of the reputedly best medical schools in the world, a la Harvard, reputedly being one of the best universities in the world. Neither are true anymore because in part of this. She sent out a missive yesterday announcing their MLK Day celebrations. Their commemoration event is today. It will be held at the Chevy Chase Auditorium on the East Baltimore campus of Johns Hopkins. Noted engineer and physician Mae Jemison will be the keynote speaker. Great. Mae Jemison, the first black woman to travel in space. Fantastic. She's an inspiration. That's not the only part of the announcement. The other part of the announcement is the diversity word of the month. Oh, please tell me what it is. I've been dying to know. Privilege is the diversity word of the month. Privilege is a set of unearned benefits given to people who are in a specific social group. Privilege is granted to people who have membership in one or more of the following social identity groups. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. These are the dragons we must slay to have an equitable society. 
white people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgendered, males, Christians, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. They're privileged just by being in this group. And uh, they are our enemies because they are oppressors. That's the subtext, of course. Well, there's a little bit of uh, hue and cry about that portion of the statement she issued. So the next day, yesterday, she issued the following, Dear colleagues. Oh, I didn't mean it, but I meant it. The non-apology apology, or is this a genuine apology? The newsletter included a definition of the word privilege, which upon reflection, oh, you reflected on it. No, you got excoriated for it from certain quarters, and now you're issuing this to your colleagues letter. And she's trying to keep her job. She, I deeply regret it. The intent of the newsletter is to inform and support an inclusive community at Hopkins, but this language clearly did not meet that goal. Jeez, boy, I, you wrote the, you know, this whole thing, and you, th- you know, did you, you look at it and say, yeah, that sounds about right. That meets this goal. No, no, it doesn't meet this goal because it had the opposite effect of being exclusionary. I retract and disavow the definition. And I'm sorry. I will work to ensure that future messages better reflect our organizational values. Well, what are they? What are those organizational values? I mean, you're just not supposed to say the things um, so directly that she said. But how do you have a chief diversity officer and not extol what she wrote as the organization's values? That's like saying we're going to remove the hydrogen from water. Somebody texted in, black female chief diversity officers are more privileged than nearly everyone covered under the list. They're paid far more than the average middle class person, and they have the privilege of being hired and treated above criticism because of their race and sex. Yeah, Dr. Golden. Dr. Golden, an executive at Johns Hopkins, is oppressed by some middle class white guy in Ohio. I doubt it. Please. For more on this and uh, a better understanding of... uh, what we all should be reflecting upon on MLK Day, which is Monday. Our friend Bob Woodson joins us. He's the founder and president of the Woodson Center and uh, also the 1776 Project, author of Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Bob, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, Dan. So, I mean, give us your review of, since we haven't spoken with you um, uh, since uh, this firestorm in the Ivy League and and, um, you know, the donor class and like Bill Ackman and Elon Musk arguing with Mark Cuban and, you know, all this stuff that has just been going on for a long time. It has some new entrance, but it also has a real stickiness at our institutions of allegedly higher learning as well as in corporate America. And, you know, maybe just to stop, look and listen from your perspective, since you have such a, a longitudinal understanding of this and where we are now. Well, thank God. Uh, that you have people in positions like this woman and, and Claudine Gay, that they're so extreme in their positions that it, it renders what they're saying ridiculous. And, and so that's the good news. And as a consequence, I think there's been a backlash in society that some of the corporations that embrace DEI training for employees are now backing off, and some of these DEI offices are closing. Um, and what they fail to understand is, is that uh, as Shelby Field and others pointed out, the low expectations and a grievance-based worldview has trapped many low-income blacks in an intellectual prison. 
of a self-conflicted genocide. If we keep bombarding children with the message that, particularly black children, they live in a country that hates and despises them, and they begin to believe that they are unworthy of being loved. Uh, when white children are told that they are, are unworthy because they are privileged and, and oppressors, this too can lead to self-devaluation. Hate destroys, I think, both the purveyor and, the, and its object. Well, do you and, think that DEI has no place in society? Absolutely not. What does it mean? I mean, there isn't, as, as Tom Sola pointed out, there isn't even diversity within families. He said, he says that uh, of the of the twenty nine astronauts at the time, twenty one were first born. Um, you know, diversity. Right. Diversity is not a natural state of anything. I mean, black men are eight or six percent of the population. They're eighty percent of the NBA and the NFL. There are no Asian tackles in the NFL. Is that because they get discriminated against? So in other words, whenever there's disparity and it's positive, it's overlooked. Does it mean that the NFL discriminates against white men, against Asians, against Hispanics? Or is there just a single standard of merit that blacks happen to be uh, focused on? The, the other thing, I, there are no black, not many blacks playing ice hockey. Does that mean that there's, so this is just a ridiculous discussion. Well, the, the, the thing I like so much about the Johns Hopkins is the irony is completely lost on, I mean, somebody who's clearly very educated, Dr. Golden, and all of these other die acolytes. Mae Jemison, Mae Jemison is almost 70 years old. She, she's a, I'm sure she faced racism uh, in her life. And yet, whatever burdens uh, or hurdles were put in her way, she became the first black woman to travel in space. So you have the example of Mae Jemison that you're platforming, rightly so, on Martin Luther King Day to show an example of you can do anything in this country. And at the same time, you're saying you can't do anything in this country because you're black and oppressed. Yeah. And, and also, Claudine Gay went to Exeter Academy. I mean, she's at the creme of the creme when it comes to privilege in America. And she makes $900,000 a year as the ex-president of Harvard. Uh, how, how disadvantaged can she be? Well, for, for, for Monday, I mean, one of the things that's so great about uh, the work that you do and the Woodson Center does is your um, trying to elevate the stories and the history that people are not as familiar with as they should be. Uh, and it's all of the success stories of black Americans, despite the odds. I mean, you know, I'm not going to I won't steal your lines, but but you've got a, you've got some great lines on this that really drive the point home. And it seems to me that one of the things that we can do on Martin Luther King Day and in this larger discussion on die versus the alternative is just tell stories that not enough people know. Exactly. Um and our you know, curriculum, Dan, as you know, we developed from our essay, Red, White, and Black. Uh, we, it's been downloaded now 130,000 times in all 50 states. There's a thirst for content. There's a thirst for truth. Unless we have fact-based truth, then lies will become normal. And so, but there is a truly a thirst for truth. And people are responding to it. Uh, Oregon's, even Oregon school systems 
as embracing the 1776 Unites curriculum as New Hampshire and others are waking up to the fact that America has to, uh, has to return to the embrace of the values of this nation. Black Americas, we, we have 25 blacks who were born slaves who died millionaires. And many of them couldn't even read or write. Only in America could you have this phenomenon occur. This is what we should be celebrating. People are motivated when, when they are victories that are possible, not injuries to be avoided. Uh, I, I, I spoke with uh, Shelby Steele um, a couple of months ago, and one of the things that he said, which is probably a, a shocking statement to many, particularly many that are die-addled, is that, look— um, racism is over in America, not in the sense that there aren't racists in America, 330 million people. There are going to be some ignoramuses out there. But in terms of structural racism, uh, de jure, segre- de, you know, de jure racism, racism under the color of law, segregation and so forth, that that is over. And the the sooner essentially the sooner there's more realization that it's over and people can focus on uh, seizing opportunity and understanding what are sort of productive behaviors that open the doors of opportunity, the better off black, white, and everybody else is going to be. I mean, the whole idea that racism, meaning structural racism, is over, um, that seems to be an important message to drive discussion because I think it, as I said, I think it um, will um, raise a lot of eyebrows in certain quarters. No, but I think as Alan Patton said in Cry Beloved Country that it's important uh, to to replace something with something else of value. Right now, the Harvard study says that the that, that the, the the leading cause of death of our young people, whether low low income blacks is homicide, middle uh, upper income white kids in Silicon Valley is suicide, and Appalachian whites is prescription drugs. This is the crisis that we're facing, but we'll never come together to address this problem if we're transfixed on race. It is not a race problem that we have in America. It's a race crisis. And we need to put aside the whole issue of race so we can deal with this larger, more destructive uh, phenomenon that is occurring. Uh, I want to make sure people can get the curriculum that uh, Bob Woodson was describing. Um, WoodsonCenter.org is where you go to get that curriculum that he was describing. Maybe that's something you should download in advance of Martin Luther King Day and take the occasion to distribute to people who you think would benefit from uh, reviewing it. WoodsonCenter.org, how we help, uh, slash how we help curriculum. But anyway, WoodsonCenter.org, and you can find their curriculum, 1776 Unites, um, and it's uh, the lessons are free. So go get it. Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, author of Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And get that curriculum and make sure you share it with your kids' teachers. Get it, Help Bob get it into the schools so more people do know about these stories and can share them as well. Bob, thank you as always. Appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A lot of 
developments with Trump trials as well as Biden Incorporated legally this week. And so we wanted to get some expert reviews of the arguments that were made uh, before the D.C. Appellate Court on immunity, the Supreme Court's decision to take up oral arguments in the Colorado Supreme Court to ballot access question on February 8th, the conflict, potential conflict of interest that uh, Fawny Willis inflicted upon the constitu- her constituents in Fulton County, Atlanta, and the country by extension. Lots to talk about, so we're pleased to be joined by Jed Rubenfeld. He's a professor of law at Yale Law School. Hey, that's Hunter Biden's alma mater. Oh, that's um, nice. Thanks. But, Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure you ever have in class? Wait, but wait, let me oh, finish. Sorry. But okay. but it's also Clarence Thomas's, so it just shows oh. you, you know, some people play more attention in class than others. That's not, So it's not necessarily impugning Yale. Uh, Jed Rubenfeld is also an expert on constitutional law and the First Amendment, author of The Interpretation of Murder. Professor Rubenfeld, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, so, um, yeah, but did you ever have Hunter in class? <laughs> no, I did not. He was too busy studying tax Thomas. law. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so um, you wrote an interesting piece in the journal, Wall Street Journal, about the uh, Colorado ballot access case, and you uh, uh, did some shepherdizing on the topic, and uh, came up with an 1869 case that you think is instructive for how the Supreme Court should handle Trump's appeal. Why don't you explain? Yeah, okay, I'll be glad to. But, you know, it, it, it helps to take a step back here. I mean, we don't do this in America. We have never, in the entire history of this country, tried to uh, remove, you know, a leading candidate from the ballot, uh, lock him up, Um that's third world stuff. That's banana republic stuff. We have never done it. Uh, we haven't used the legal system to try to um, block uh, folks uh, from uh, voting for the person of their choice. That's a hugely dangerous precedent. Uh, it's risky for democracy. Um, and, you know, the danger is that, uh, you know, it's always human beings. Judges are human beings. Prosecutors are human beings. You're going to have folks with political biases uh who are going to be making the decisions. And it is not a good look when uh, four judges in Colorado who are appointed by a Democratic uh, governor um, uh, vote to remove Trump from the ballot. That's That that looks bad. People are not going to believe that that was based on law. They're going to think it's based on politics. And the point I made in the uh, Wall Street Journal piece is, yeah, it kind of was based uh, not on law but on politics because we don't have any law here. That's, that's the problem. Uh, it, this provision from the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, has been on the books since 1866, and there's basically no law that's ever been decided under it, so judges are making it up on the fly. But way back a long time ago, 1868-1869, the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States wrote an opinion called uh, Griffin, uh, and he said, look, you can't enforce this disqualification provision of the 14th Amendment, unless you have some procedures that are laid out by Congress in advance. you got to have a statute. Once Congress has passed a statute, said the uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice Chase in 1869, once they've passed a statute, okay, then fine, you can bring these cases, follow the procedures laid out. Otherwise, uh, you know, judges and courts are going to be making this stuff up on the fly, and we're not going to allow that. So he said that back in 1869, and uh, you know, honestly, I think that's the right way for the current Supreme Court to go, to follow his lead, 
and say, look, once we have some procedures laid out in advance, so everybody's, you know, it, it's all in a level, level playing field, um, and nobody's treated differently from anybody else, then you can, uh, that, that's how you can and should enforce the provision of the 14th Amendment if you, you know, do so at all. You know, I'll just note that, you know, 14th Amendment disqualification provision, that's for insurrection. And one thing that Donald Trump has not been charged with anywhere in the country is insurrection. I mean, uh, the special prosecutor has not charged him with that offense. And yet you got these, you know, state court judges and state secretaries of state who are making up their own minds about that. So, you know, it's it's a bad look. It's a bad situation. Well, speaking of insurrection, what about 2020 Black Lives Matter riots where, you know, different government officials from Presley to Kamala Harris were pretty much suggesting that they're not going to stop and that people should join the fight? Well, exactly. And that's a point I made in that Wall Street Journal piece. You know, uh, what is an insurrection? Again, we have no law on this, uh, and it is that's part of the uh, that, that's part of the problem with applying new rules to uh, Donald Trump. I mean, uh, whatever rules or definition courts come up with, did they have they applied them in the past? Have they applied them fairly? Are they being applied across the board, or is it an, a giant double standard? And yeah, I raised that question. I mean, uh, if you define insurrection very broadly, um, uh, it I don't I don't know why the BLM riots of 2020 are not an insurrection. And, and yeah, you had politicians who were encouraging it, uh, arguably. And so, you know, that's why whatever rules you come up with, that's why there has to be a procedure in advance. It can't look like, hey, all of a sudden we're making up new rules and applying them to Donald Trump. And we never applied them in the past and we're never going to. But for him, we're going to apply them because. You know, uh, we don't know what an insurrection is, but there's a perfectly good case that the uh, 2020 riots were an insurrection. And there's plenty of people who think that January 6th was not. Well, the the other thing, too, it's, uh, it seems to me a bit ironic. It seems at uh, one time they're interpreting the 14th Amendment and at the Colorado State Supreme Court, I'm saying, you know, essentially saying, you know, this is to uh, to 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 govern under the proper understanding of the 14th Amendment. And at the same time, the, it seems to me they're violating Trump's due process rights by making a conclusion that hasn't uh, come through due process in terms of adjudicating the charges against him. So they're they're end running his due process to uphold due process. <laughs> that's a very good point. Well, you know, so that's one of the issues when I say there need to be rules laid out in advance. You know, there's got to be decisions made about what kind of processes do when you're uh, trying to enforce this disqualification provision under the 14th Amendment, which we have, you know, almost no law on. So there is a statute. Congress has passed a statute saying that uh, federal uh, prosecutors can bring an insurrection charge against somebody. And if they prove it and convict the guy beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, then that person is disqualified from federal office. It basically tracks the language of the 14th Amendment. Now, that statute suggests that the kind of due process that's required here is a, is a criminal trial. And, uh, okay, if you can prove uh, to 12 jurors that there's been an insurrection and that this person engaged in it uh, beyond reasonable doubt, then you've got the uh, the due process that criminal law requires. Now, I'll just add that the Constitution does not itself say that. It so 14th Amendment Section 3 does not say there must be a criminal trial. But the one federal statute we have on the books now does call for a criminal trial. And, and by the way, Congress passed a statute 150 years ago saying uh, 
laying out a procedure which would not have required a criminal trial, but they got rid of it. They repealed that. So for a while, we had that provision out there, and we don't have it anymore. Now the only statute we do have requires a criminal trial, and if you go under that, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, and, and there has been nothing like that kind of due process so far in any of these cases, the Colorado case, the main Secretary of State's decision, um, and so forth. The the Fonnie Willis matter uh, in Fulton County, Georgia, and the appointment of her paramour to be special prosecutor, where she's approving his payments to him and his bills and so forth. Um, you know, a, a number of legal scholars have said, well, if this is true, as has been represented in court filings, then it's definitely an ethical breach. Is that an ethical breach that would preclude, in your mind, uh, the ability of that case to go forward for her to uh, prosecute Trump and uh, his cohorts uh, under the racketeering charges that she's filed? I'm going to be honest with you here. I, I don't like to opine on something where I, I don't know the facts. Well, none of us knows the facts. And everybody, I know a lot of law professors, they want to jump in and say, oh, this is, you know, this is an outrage. It's an ethical violation. Sure, sounds like one based on the headlines, but but I, I don't want to get in the business of convicting somebody before we know the basic facts, if there's any evidence. So, you know, to answer your legal question, I it's unlikely that this would derail the entire prosecution. They might, you know, at, at worst, they might have to appoint somebody else to oversee it, something like that. But, you know, even that we don't know. Even that will depend on facts. So um, it's just, I just feel it's too early to be uh, trying to jump in there and say what, what's going to happen or what should happen. Fair enough. Uh, he is Professor Jed Rubenfeld, professor of law at Yale Law School, expert on con law and the First Amendment, author of The Interpretation of Murder. Professor Rubenfeld, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Yes, indeed. Uh, it is time for our installment of Mo Open Mic Friday, that is, where we take your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line with comments, compliments, concerns, criticisms, general crack pottery. We'll take it all, but first we kick off Open Mic Friday, as we always do, sponsored by turnkey.pro, with turnkey.pro founder, David Kolsak. David. Welcome. Good morning. I'm down in beautiful West Lafayette, Indiana today. Oh, Lovely this time of year. Did you go to yes. the Iowa-Purdue girls basketball game last night? I did not, unfortunately. I, uh, I missed that one. But I did um, I did get here early ahead of the snowstorm. It's Dad's Day down here at Sigma Time. I'm seeing my son. So oh. I had to get down a little early, and we're going to see a very angry basketball team tomorrow playing um, – uh, Penn State. So it'll be fun if you ever get a chance to get to Mackey Arena. It's really uh, quite a great place. But anyway, yeah, yeah very disappointing foremost, loss against Nebraska. By the way, hope. oh my God! Ugh. As if as if losing to Northwestern was an embarrassing enough. Why'd you have to? Bring I know. Up? Well, keep rubbing it in. That's great. And, I will. and by the way, yes. Sean did a great job last week. He's still trying to prove these from Chicago, talking about Chicago politics. But we all know, you know, right? <laughs> so anyway, first and foremost, uh, I want to say that uh, I'm spending my time this weekend to gather data on the game that Dan you proposed a couple days ago. I'm here to ask the young adults at Purdue to name something that they believe in but aren't allowed to say, and something they don't believe in but have to say. So so far, I'm not writing anything down because the answers are pretty spicy. Um, I'll get back to you on the 
anecdotal research once it's completed. But secondly, I want to say I have a theory or one that I heard, and I, want, I, I thought I would share, that owning chickens will make you a conservative, right? Uh, don't laugh. Um, so, okay, so you say to your spouse or, or person, as they say, they don't say spouse anymore, your person, um, you, uh, you, you decide that it might be a good idea to own chickens. You've heard that they're low maintenance and they're easy to care for they, and produce an egg a day. You know, great. So you build a coop for a couple hundred bucks and you buy a couple chickens. First, the chickens, uh, they lay some eggs and you're elated. You're like, hey, look what we did. You know, then you, you and your person, you know, you crack open an egg for breakfast. And the first thing you notice is that the yolk is more orange than yellow and they taste great. You think, hmm, yes, these, these eggs are way better than the ones I've been buying for decades at this store. Then you do a little research and you find out that freshness, diet control of the chickens, and the lack of hormones and antibiotics have a direct impact on the taste. Not to mention the idea that, you know, you really like the idea that your chickens have friends, right? So now you start looking at other things in your diet, and you realize that maybe it's better to bake your own bread instead of buying bread that's been loaded with preservatives at the store. So you become a sourdough baking expert. Then you start looking at all the processed food that's staring you in the face at the, and marketed to you every day. Think of the commercials on TV where the Asian mother kisses the black father and sends their Mexican child off to school with some sort of Pop-Tart, <laughs> right? So yes. put, uh, buying all those chickens makes you rethink about the convenient foods that you've been poisoning your body with for years. So then you plant a garden, right? So then you look at the food pyramid where we're all taught in school. Remember that, the food pyramid? Remember the grains and cereals oh, yeah. at the bottom, yep. right? That's what they want us to eat the most of, grains and cereals. Then you have the fruits and vegetables, and then the meats and eggs and chicken and dairy. And on top of that is oil, fat, salts, and sweets. I had to look that up. But suddenly it all seems backwards because you've got these chickens, and somehow it's a, maybe a trick to make you fat and dependent on the healthcare system where you get a pill for everything. So suddenly, boom, you realize you're a conservative. Next stop, we never landed on the moon, right? So... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an obvious jump. Uh, David, I'm just uh, hold on a second. You lost me at spouse. So could you repeat all that in terms of how that works? Well, no, well if you watch any of these shows on TV, the reality shows, they say that, you know, you're not looking for a, a partner. You're not looking for someone of the opposite sex. You're looking for your person. So you're looking, I, you know, a co you're looking for a co-farmer, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm, I'm really not. And I actually don't own chickens in full, you know, in all full disclosure. But OK, so I was just in Mexico um, for the new year where there, there's a pharmacy just like on every corner in every little town. Right. You can walk into the pharmacy and get a Z-Pack. You can buy Xanax, codeine, EpiPens, diabetic supplies. You name it, you can buy it there. Um, and a, a Z-Pack costs about $20. You walk in, you say, can I have a Z-Pack? They say, figuro, and you ride for $20 or 200 pesos. Anyway, so now juxtapose that with the system here. You get sick, you make an appointment to see your doctor, you're treated like a leopard before you get in, and they're happy to collect the $50 copay or whatever it is, uh, and then they bill your insurance company a couple hundred dollars, um, but they're really not happy to see you. Um, you could have used Teladoc, you know, they tell you, but, you know, then they run blood work so they can bill them more. Uh, the insurance company more than your doctor reluctantly offers you a prescription for an antibiotic and you go to your local CVS or your Walgreens or a big box store because, you know, none of the mom and pop pharmacies that we all grew up around, they're all gone. Uh, you know, they're just gone. Um, anyways, then there you walk in and you're bombarded with the same gas station sushi, unhealthy chips, candies, candy bars, and you fight your way to pick up your prescription, right? Yeah. And you're passing by the sad people waiting in line to get quadruple jabbed while you just, like, shake your head in pity, right? You're like, finally... You get to pay another copay, and you see that your insurance company gets billed for another $100 for the antibiotics that you just got. So the conservative chicken owner, to get back to that, now finds his way down to Mexico to become a mule for all of his family and friends. I know I do that all the time. 
Anyway, so finally and lastly this week, I want to talk about the OK sign. Remember that when, when it meant OK? Remember the OK sign? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. When we were right kids, now, yes. we used to play that game, that stupid game where you, you flash the OK sign to your friend, maybe under your desk or at lunch. Remember that game? Yep. And if they looked at your OK sign, you got to punch them in the arm. However, if they busted you by putting their finger through your OK sign, you got, they got to punch you. It was a stupid game, but without iPads and all kinds of stuff, you know, it's just kind of... We had nothing else to do. But anyway, so at some point, the OK sign became a sign for the elite. You put that your eye in the middle of your OK sign, and suddenly we all know you're in the Illuminati, right? So the OK sign also became a sign of racism. When you display your OK sign in just the right way, it forms a WP. It's a stretch for me anyway, which means, of course, white power. Uh, you remember the, when Doug Glanville was reporting in the batter's eye at Wrigley Field and some dude in the background flashed the OK sign? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. A few years ago. And they, they, the outrage was like the racism was crazy. And that, that guy was not only kicked out of the stadium, he was banned by C.O. Epstein for life. So now I'm watching Purdue get to get its brains beaten in last week at Nebraska. And every time someone hits a three-point shot, and there were a lot of them, right, by especially Nebraska, the players almost in unison hold their hands up and make that racist OK sign. And I was confused at the bottom of the screen when this graphic came up with the OK sign. It would kind of slink up and go back down. Um, and it was actually, you know, for three points, uh, for a three-point shot. But you get my point. Anyway, a oh, smart person, a, a person is smart, but people are stupid. That's a really interesting thing. A person is smart, but people are stupid. So it's okay to use the okay sign. Do it, I dare you. A lot's happened already this year, and it's looking to be a wild ride. So one piece of advice for all of our friends out there is become a chicken advocate, right? Tell all your liberal friends to get some chickens. It'll make the world a better place, at least a more conservative one. Thank you, guys. Um, Wow. Th- thanks so much, uh, well, David. Always. Appreciate that. Lots of lots of process there. No pun intended. Uh, actually, it was intended. Uh, so, uh, but you know, Doug Glanville got his because uh, his wife went on one of those ghastly Real Housewives show and then divorced him. Yeah, right. That happened. It did. Okay. Yeah, didn't that? I think so. Um, and uh, I'm still. I mean, that was a detailed explanation, or is a detailed story. I'm not sure how I understand that gets you to being a conservative, though. I, did, did you catch that? I, I don't. I'm trying to still. Process. I'm trying to. Uh, like, it's good. It's a great rant, as always. Yes. I was waiting for the so because it represents a certain value system or something. I, I don't know, but I, I'll tell you what it does do. Provides the perfect segue to something I wanted to get to all week. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, you know, he's the creator of oh, uh, Yellowstone and Tulsa King and Mayor of Kingstown. And, uh-uh. you, know. you don't have to tell me, sister, and he's easy on the eyes. He sure is. Uh, Ride anyway. bareback anytime with that guy. Okay, Lady okay. Godiva. Uh, so uh, Taylor Sheridan was on with Rogan, and um, he went off on vegans. I forget, you know, wh- whether it's whether you're, uh, you know, no uh, GMO and all that other stuff that uh, Colsack was talking about, or you're just a hearty meat and potatoes guy. That's the you, how you know you're conservative. You're not a vegan. I think one of the most absurd positions anyone can take is they're a vegan for an ethical reason. It's preposterous. You could do it for a medical reason, even though I don't know what that reason would be, but maybe you can't process, you know, meat. You can't process proteins like that. But to do it from an ethical reason is absurd. And the reason I say that is I have plowed a field. It is carnage. It is 12 feet of carnage. And every single plant that you eat is going to be tilled into the ground in some capacity. So you're going to kill everything when Does you plow that, that field. famous uh, conversation that Kevin Costner has uh, in Yellowstone. I wrote, that's why I wrote it. Yeah. People have to understand. You have to take ownership. 
that same thing. Ted Nugent has saying, said this on this podcast. He yeah. said, if you want to kill the most things, mm-hmm. become a vegan. Yeah, 100%. If you're thinking about individual life, if you don't think that one life equals one life, if you think that small things aren't as valuable as large things, that's a totally different discussion. And that's a weird discussion. But if you think that all life is sacred, well, what about the lives of the ground nesting birds, fawns? Yeah. What about the lives of rodents, insects? All those things are getting demolished. The average organic avocado farm in Central California is going to kill, on average, around 19,000 ground squirrels a year. <sighs> That's not counting the billions of bees, because they're going to bring the bees up from Brazil to pollinate the, the trees, and then they're going to die. They're not sending them back anywhere. They're not keeping them. In some, no, they're gone. They're going to spray with some organic, which is probably just like compressed cayenne pepper. They're going to spray the trees. They're going to kill every bug, every plant, everything. All you got to do is drive I-5 through the San Joaquin Valley, and you won't see. You'll see plenty of almonds. You'll see plenty of all these different groves. You won't see any birds. You won't see anything else. They killed them all. Very, very graphic, but Taylor Sheridan has very specific knowledge of this. He's a real cowboy or farmer or rancher or some combination of all of the above. Anyway, it also speaks to uh, why PETA may be the most ridiculous leftist organization on the planet. And that's there's a lot of competition for that. But remember Ingrid Newkirk, who's the lunatic that runs that ridiculous organization it, with the uh, you want to talk about it, uh, tone deaf. The um, the billboard campaign they did several years back where, like, they had a picture of breakfast, including those eggs that uh, uh, that that uh, David was talking about. And the, the headline was Holocaust on a plate. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. That's the, the absolute oh. lunatics. These vegans who do it for ethical reasons, as uh, Taylor Sheridan said. All right. OK, well, uh, can I talk about something? Uh, yeah. Do we have time? Oh, we yeah. do. I want to I talk think... about testosterone and communism. Because if you have low testosterone, you're a communist. There's a direct correlation no, no, like no. chickens and conservatism. I was confronted based on with communism and my testosterone level was too high. And I almost hit this Russian woman over the head with a tequila bottle. I'm talking about vacation. We went to the same place. We always go to the same place, the Ryu Palace Peninsula or whatever. And because they have a great volleyball court and the rules for the last nine years, you, your team wins, you stay on the court been like that since the beginning of time you go on vacation to play volleyball oh yeah all day and all, all night yeah i'm a, i'm obsessed and i've hmm. gotten much better by the way anyway interesting well because the kids love to do it and i like to spend time with them so the norway we played the norwegian family we won we played the brazilian family the guatemalan family via canada um people are there from all over the world the northbrook family and uh, so wow they come from as far as they, northbrook they do okay. so right. okay so we were there for hours because we were winning and the Russians come in and they're like, no, 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 we are done. Get out. All of you out. And I said, no, we're not leaving. And then the Ryu instructor was there saying, no, if you win, you stay. And then if there's a lot of people waiting to play, you play to 15 instead of 21. The, the Russians, they would not move. They literally like took over our spot. So I looked at my kids and I'm like, see, this is communism. You get a front row to communism right here and right now. And so, you know, what we did. We left, but we took our volleyball with us because it was our own personal volleyball. Like, now nobody gets to play. Hmm. And the Norwegians were on our side. Everybody was Then the family from Louisville, they were outraged. Family from Mm. Minnesota. 
I, it was just, but then I got my testosterone. I couldn't control, and the girl from Louisville was so sweet. Because I, I grabbed my tequila bottle, and I wasn't even drinking. I'm like, I'm going to hit that Russian woman over the head with my tequila bottle. I've and then got the to Russian, control my testosterone. And then the Russian woman said, I must break you. <laughs> it was, uh, it was just. And then the crowd started chanting, Rocky. Ro- oh, no, Rocky. that's a different. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying that that's, you know, uh, ugh, Russians. Okay. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. All right. And whatever it takes they to lower your testosterone level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's take a couple calls. We, we have to get to the Scots, too, since we're traversing the globe, but I'll, I'll wait for that. Well, I mean, since we're sort of has an international flavor, this discussion, we're pleased to be joined again by the Prime Minister of Ireland, who for some reason. Is still stationed in Ogden Dunes, Indiana. Prime wonderful Minister. news! Wonderful news! We've got the great governor J.B. Lizzo now focused on turning around this so-called exodus of taxpayers deserting Illinois. With the same top drawer idea leadership, short-fingered Sister Penny brought to Harvard. Plus, we brought in those whimsical Disneyland consultants. Davies' campaign has crafted three surefire initiatives guaranteeing jobs are plenty as he transforms Illinois into a Las Vegas-type international tourist mecca. First idea, first idea, a dynamic new state motto. Illinois, the S is silent. Idea number two, Amy you know those escape rooms so popular with the youngsters? Yes. How about we designate Englewood, an entire neighborhood, one massive escape room? Okay. Next idea. Yes. Next idea. Yes. The best idea. With a political nod to the LGBLT, JB himself <laughs> will make Starved Rock America's largest nudist colony. We will sell packages alongside South Worst Airlines with the motto, the bigger, the better. And to show he's all in, both on public nudity and the inflationary benefits of Bidenomics at ribbon cutting for the nation's best locale for structural nudism, Governor Lizzo will perform on stage, Lululemon leaves a sour taste, in a spandex phase nude unisex onesie. He'll stare the mic with a specially reinforced stage with that great crooner and troubadour, the Joker, Steve Miller. And Dan and Amy, do you know what they'll sing? I what? don't. Your cash ain't nothing but trash. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Prime Minister. <laughs> Whew, that a... LGBLT. Uh, Kevin in Austin, Texas. I went from a chicken to a uh, a vegan to playing volleyball. Yeah, it's eclectic to this this morning. Yeah, twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And and when yeah. you're talking about the the Rocky thing, I thought of Rocky and Bullwinkle. That's how uh, mm-hmm. my mind was traveling is listening to all this. Well, it's Anyhow, open mic Friday. Just expect the unexpected. I love it. Right? I love it. I love I, it. No, it's not, I'm not complaining at all. Okay, it's, good. it's been amazing. Um, I did want to ask you because you're. I was listening earlier. You had Fauci on, or the story about Fauci, and then the Burridge guy, who's Republican, who is even now with the uh, uh, the legal immigration, still trying to virtue signal, saying, "Oh, you know," so he doesn't want to be a bad guy. I'm curious. 
after all that, because I first started listening to you guys when COVID started. I started working from home. Uh, I've got brothers up there, so you got to listen to this. These guys are hilarious. Uh, and I was curious. And back then, people were getting involved in the Republican Party, or at least in the grassroots. And, uh, and parents were getting involved because they saw how education was had changed from when they went to school. Uh, you know, watching everybody online or their kids online, that type of thing. I did too. Where's the enthusiasm? Is there still enthusiasm in the grassroots of the Republican Party? I got involved down here. I'm a precinct chair in Williamson County. It's like I'm a suburb of Austin. Uh, and I'm curious if there's any enthusiasm up there in Chicago, because I really believe, listening up there, that there are four congressional districts that could be won or flipped in Illinois if people got involved. And, and just correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just curious, what's the state of enthusiasm to kind of change things up in Illinois. Uh, thanks for the call, Kevin. I, I, I can't say that uh, it's perceptible. Not to me. And um, I don't know. I talk to a lot of uh, Republican regulars, uh, particularly well, sort of movement conservatives. Um, Jeannie Ives might have a better handle on this based on how much uh, participation she's getting with that uh, pro-family referendum question she's trying to get on the ballot since they're in the process of circulating to get the necessary signatures. Uh, but, you know, you have to do things to generate enthusiasm. And there hasn't even been a Republican message of any significance on pick a topic, any topic, but made me think about the topic that has the most intensity right now, which is the sanctuary city state and the migrant issue. Where, where, where is it? Uh, maybe if you had uh, this uh, idea that was sort of simultaneously imagined by both me and uh, members of the House Republican Freedom Caucus to provide daily briefing slash information and circulate it about the, the uh, arrival of migrants and the costs associated and so forth, maybe um, that you could build community around that information like we uh, talked about with the, the state legislator from Peoria that we spoke to earlier in the program today. But I mean, you, you know, you have to take positions on things. You have to put in the fight. You have to do concrete things and enlist other people to do those concrete things with you. And outside of the uh, pro-family petition, parents' rights petition, I, I can't point to anything else that is underway. Sorry to say. Uh, Eduardo, Tampa Bay. Yeah, Dan Amy, I uh, wanted to comment on this Eco Health Alliance. Uh, uh -huh. Peter Dazwick, he's Dazak, friends with yeah. Dr. Mm -hmm. Fauci. Oh yeah, they suspended the funding, but they're resuming the funding. So who's who's doing that? I mean, is it Fauci or is it the? Well, Biden Fauci's gone. Fauci's gone. Collins is gone. But, okay. uh, you know, new boss, same as the old boss, like Chicago. So that Mandy Cohn at CDC and uh, I'm blanking on the new NIH director. But I mean, yeah, they're they're Covidian functionaries that are, of course. I mean, why would they? Why wouldn't they? I should say. What, have they been chastened? No. These are their allies. Thanks for the call, Eduardo. And uh, it's a reminder to go check out uh, my piece on the former NIH director, Francis Collins, at johncastnews.com, which posted this morning. That'll perhaps explain why things are moving along just as they did previously. Uh, Bob in Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Always good talking to you. 
I missed an opportunity to discuss the topic with you yesterday, and then this morning you broached it with uh, Brett Baer. The topic is the deportation of the migrants. I've heard uh, Trump and DeSantis and even Haley all wishing to deport the migrants, but I'm wondering how this is going to be accomplished. Let me give a shout-out to uh, Frank of uh, Arlington Heights, uh, our history expert. Could he offer a history lesson on Eisenhower's Operation Wetback of the 50s? I only know a little bit about this history where uh, the temporary Mexican workers were all returned back to Mexico in the 50s. I'm wondering how that worked out. And now today, what are, what are we going to see if a Republican is elected president and the Republicans take uh, control of Congress? How, how are the mi- migrants going to be returned? You got any ideas? Well, I've, I've, I won't. Thanks for the call, Bob. I've offered my... Um ideas on the topic a lot this week and sort of what is realistic and doing things in a sequential way that would be uh, popular and thus give uh, give impetus for Republicans to act were they to secure control of Congress and the presidency in November. Um, but, you know, there's I mean, there's yeah, right. I mean, the the story of immigration and immigration policy in the United States is a complicated one where there have been some good initiatives and some uh, terrible initiatives uh, where there has been sort of some, where, where some of the policies have been infused with racism, which, of course, I do not support in our history. So it's been, you know, it's been the good, the bad and the ugly, to borrow from Clint Eastwood, with respect to immigration policy. So, yeah, I think there are some historical precedents that we could discuss to see if they have applicability to 2024. But but even still, we sort of know what to do in real time. It's never been, I say this all the time because it's what most of these challenges are. It, it's not like a we don't know what to do. It's a we don't have the political will to do what we know should be done. That's more the issue than the, we need uh, another comprehensive study or blue ribbon commission to come up with all the best ideas. We have a pretty good idea what works and what's sensible and what's fair and a pretty good idea about what isn't. Mm, Brian in, in uh, Wheatfield, Indiana. Hey, Dan, Amy. I want to have a new rule for AM560 listeners, and especially the host, that when we say the year, we don't do 2024. We just say 2024. We speak proper English. It's not COVID wasn't in 2020. Ronald Reagan wasn't the president in 1982. It's driving me nuts. All right. The years in the right way. All right. Thanks, Brian from Wheatfield, Indiana, our grammarian. Uh, let's go from our grammarian to our poet laureate. The poet laureate of Chicago's Morning Answer is Joe from Arlington Heights. Good morning. So Tuesday, I'm walking my dog at just around 730, and you're talking about transgender impacts on children in schools and Jordan from Antioch calls, and he's all fired up. And who are these people? Well, when he's calling and saying that, I'm standing in front of a house that's got one of these "What We Believe" signs mm-hmm. in front of it. Were you might, were you in Western Springs by any chance? At the, in front of the mayor's house? Anyway, go ahead. Well, I tell you, don't worry, we got plenty here. So I came home and I penned a little poem called "Front Yard Signs." My pillow's soft and blanket warm, but I do not set my alarm. Sleepless. Concerns swirl around, 
about the neighbors in my town, proudly placing front yard signs to claim moral superiority to mine. God has been remade by them, placing their image onto him. Love is love by cost. Our family structure slowly lost. The first institution of the human race is now by fools laid to waste. And the little ones, filthy lessons they must learn as schools are conquered by the queer. With books meant to innocent destroy, make young girls wish they were boys. Hey guys, use any bathroom you wish to claim as perverted predators take their aim to molest the tender as their prey, then transferred to rape another day. And no one is illegal, so they claim, open the borders because we're all the same. Citizenship no longer reigns as our schools, alien shelters became. I cringe as I pass these signs each day with their false virtue display. Society's very essence and core must now stand and fight and more. God and family and country is the way and must be our focus every day. Eternal lines must not be redrawn by evil signs on your neighbor's lawn. Very good, Joe. Thanks for Very that. Good. Very thoughtful yeah, and yeah. Uh, well yeah. constructed as always. That's why you're our poet laureate. Thank you, and have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Joe. Um, since he brought it up, I, I did want to just mention this new bill in Scotland. You know, as the West continues to so gross. self-immolate. Mm. Well, it better not happen here, but now it might. Um, the new law would cover two situations. When someone provides a service that intends to change or suppress another's person, another person's sexual orientation or gender identity, or where someone keeps pressuring or forcing someone to change or suppress themselves. The behavior will have to be about one specific person. The purpose of the behavior must be to change or suppress the other person's gender identity or sexual orientation. A maximum of 12 months in prison for lesser offenses. A fine of not more than 10,000 pounds or both. Where the offense is more serious, the penalty would be up to seven years in prison. A fine that has no limit or both. Now you say, well, well, sure, nobody should pressure anyone to change or suppress their identity. But you understand how this actually plays out in practice. If you don't address somebody by their preferred pronouns, is that attempting to suppress another person's gender identity? Um, that seems to be the attitude in, um, in Western Europe, generally speaking. So now you're talking about prison time? I mean, you know, California is a stone's throw from this. That's the last time you'll slap your willy around. Yeah, well, that's why I figured groundskeeper willy would not be happy with that. You know what, what I've been wanting to play? The Stephen Hawking family guy. Nah, well, well you, I missed it. You can't just when play it, happened, it with, I know, you can't play I, it out of nowhere. Well, you have I'm to speaking have some... in non sequiturs day because it's a snow globe out there and driving home is going to be boring okay. and a bit scary. But you were gone that off that one day when it came down that he was at the on the island. Yeah. And might have participated. Allegedly. Alleged. Oh, yeah. Of course. No, I'm allegedly. And, and allegedly he, may allegedly participated in an orgy. Okay. That whole, I mean, that whole Epstein list and Epstein documents thing is really confusing. Mm. 
Um, but the, the thing that isn't, well, this is also confusing. It's sort of confounding. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison for 20 years for sex trafficking, but she didn't sex traffic anybody to anybody. She didn't sex traffic the people she sex trafficked to anybody in particular. Yeah, you know, give me a break. And there, I think that, they, that this is coming to light because the depositions were taken back in 2016 because they're trying to take down Trump. But Trump had nothing to do. I mean, of course, he knew everybody knows everybody in West Palm. Um, but uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hi. Um, I got to go to the reliable source that told me that illegals are being housed in the church here in Western Springs on 47th Street. So if you don't know that already, um, you can contact the village and ask more about that. Um, and I'm going to forget about the illegals this weekend. We have a pickleball problem in Western Springs. Oh, pickleball problem. Oh, yeah, we do. The, um, you know, you're talking about volleyball, Amy. Yeah. So we have. Um, Is the, it the Russians again? Yeah. There, there are. There's a Russian there. Um. Anyway, the court <laughs> is reserved. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The court's reserved for advanced play only, 8:30 a.m. to 11 a.m. Spring, summer, winter, and fall. Right. So maybe in the so it, beginners and intermediate players aren't allowed on that court in the morning ever. Ever. Now, this is a court down the street from my house. I'm a, an intermediate player. I invited you to come play, Dan. I want you to come. And, like, I, 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 you know, I'm all for park districts are open to everybody, but it's the equity of dividing up the time on the court. And, you know, the whole country's got a pickleball freaking problem because the sport is wildly popular. So um, I'm going to uh, – Come to the park district meeting. Um, I'll, I've been there several times, talking, spouting my mouth off. You know, go ahead, Dan. What do you have to say? Well, I mean, I just, I mean, I, you know, your your uptown pickleball problems in Western Springs is not exactly, uh, you know, the Western so civilization isn't exactly hanging in the balance on that. But I, I appreciate. I know, it. but I have to have a different cause. You know, I'm All the right. legal there. Right. They're in the church. Whatever. We're doing parents matter coalition.org if anybody wants to help me go door to door i'm doing that too i mean i'm doing my part dan all right all right all right all right you earned your pickleball slot then okay fair enough thanks for the call mary Kay. uh james in naples hello uh before i get to a point on your golf outing in uh, naples i just want to say that uh, i don't want to burst your bubble but the gentleman who calls in from ogden dunes is not actually the irish prime minister is that right the reason I know that is Joe Biden recently said to be Irish prime minister, you have to speak with a slight Indian accent. But um, okay. on behalf of those, on behalf of those that listen from six to ten every day, that's the Dan and Amy diaspora who fled to Naples and are in refugee camps right now. Mm-hmm. As a win-win, Dan, you could host a golf outing where you know you don't have you you just have to put it on your account. But everyone who comes pays for their breakfast, their golf, their caddy, their dinner, their drinks. That goes against your minimum. And then uh, we all get to have a round of golf at uh, at your lovely course. That's a great idea for you, uh, for me. Thanks for the call, James. And I'll, I'll give that the consideration it deserves. Uh, Ralph and Rantoul. Yeah, good morning. I know we're short on time here, so I'm going to play beat the clock. I had a longer story. I started a new term, uh, and I'm trying to unmush the mushy heads of the seniors getting out of this overpriced university. And uh, again, we're talking about uh, social systems and government. 
Uh, and I'll just sum it up by this. A haiku, not as eloquent as Joe, but it's shorter. Don't be a Marxist. They will run your life by force. Okay, sign me up. Very good. Thanks for the call, Ralph. Well, we got a haiku this morning, too. I wasn't expecting that. All right, Chuck and Delavan to close it out. Hey, back to chickens. That guy was a genius. Everybody look at Mother Earth News 2007. The difference between a free-range chicken and a regular chicken in the grocery store, no arsenic by the form of R sign, and no tetracycline. That guy's a genius. Anyway, uh, I'm actually shoveling snow right now in my uh, thong bikini in front of my farmhouse right now trying to bring back summer. So everybody keep having a good weekend and uh, stay out of trouble. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks so much to Justin Kosick, our technical producer, and Quinn McCarthy, our executive producer. Be safe out there. Woohoo, just drive slow. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM560. The answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer Podcast, sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.